Welcome to the Connor Churland podcast, where I, Connor Churland, meet up with a musician, hear about what makes them tick, what kind of things they're bringing into their artwork today. And on today's podcast, we have Nick Carpenter from Medium Build. And uh, Nick is an incredible guy, multi-instrumentalist from Atlanta, from Nashville, currently in Anchorage. And he and I have a great conversation. You'll hear us talk about uh, worship leading as an evangelical Christian and how it's similar to leading an indie band and uh, directing a concert the way you want it to emotionally go. We talk about quitting drinking. We also talk about what it means to make music that's authentically yours, even if it doesn't sound as polished. So please enjoy. I know that I did. Please enjoy this interview with Nick Carpenter and his new song, Give Me Back My Soul enjoy there are, uh, i don't know if this happens to you my dad all the time will just be hanging out and i'll be like yeah i saw this uh something happened today he goes you know there's a song in that and rarely is there a song in that <laughs> but after uh, after hearing rabbit i i feel i feel like this tooth may eventually come come back around <laughs> Um, now that you've you've seen i can make a song out of anything <laughs> <laughs> just out of uh out of out of things dying yeah so <laughs> <laughs> no that's my dad too my dad always is sending me uh lyric ideas or he'll be like i'll send you the first line and he'll send me a song and he's like this <laughs> you write the rest <laughs> uh has have any of them been helpful have you ever used one even as a joke I don't, I may, maybe for like a minute, like trying to yeah. do it right there in front of him, but no, no, my parents, it's every line, every, everything, every joke we say at dinner, my mom's like, hmm, huh, new song. <laughs> so no, not, I, I, I'm so finicky when it comes to writing. I, it has to be in the moment, in the mood. Like I'm, I'm very, I either it either has to be assigned like fully like someone has to be like all right I need you to write this song by next Wednesday about this right or completely ephemeral chasing the moment like yeah I'm bad I'm bad I I'll write down little inspiration ideas but then I I rarely will I circle back to them until years later sometimes so I don't know sure it sounds like you have a good relationship with your family yeah I think so. Great. Did yeah. they introduce you to music? In in some interviews, it talked about you getting started in church, writing songs and playing yeah. for little kids. Um, yeah, I think it's both. Uh, my parents were missionaries uh, before I was born, and then they both worked in the church. And eventually, when they had my brother and I, they like worked. They moved into like the regular world of work. But the church was a huge part of our life. My mom's dad was a missionary and. Her sister was a pastor, so we would go to my, you know, my aunt and uncle's church all the time, and everyone sings and plays instruments, and uh, so yeah, a lot of that is informative to I think my love of like singing together and sort of communal thing. But yeah. then like truly, I sponged music from the backseat of my parents' car. You know, my mom was obsessed with Motown oldies in Atlanta. The station was called Fox ninety seven. It was the like oldies it played all the 50s 60s and some 70s and uh that's what we listened to that's kind of what all i knew and it was that and like worship music and then my dad he he and i didn't spend a lot of time w together until maybe i was like 
in my teenage years, I feel like it was when he was like, all right, you're cool enough to hang. <laughs> um, but whenever I did ride in the car with him, like preteen, it was always like a random errand, right? He's like, I got to go to the auto parts store. You coming? And I was like, right. do I have to? And my mom's like, yes, you have to go be with your dad. Get out of the house. Stop like playing video games and uh, so I would go ride with him to the store for 10 minutes and he would always have like butt rock on like ZZ Top and Van Halen and things that I just thought were awful at the time. Like just yeah. harsh, harsh guitar tones and yeah, guys and it's called like butt this. rock. It's, yeah. it's called butt rock specifically because because the because the jeans, right? Because the because of the ass hugging jeans is what I always thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> never heard this term, but I really. Oh, you like never it. heard the term butt rock? No, no. Oh well, butt rock has come. Hey, I, there's some diff. There's some uh, arguments about what what is butt rock because people. I like to think butt rock is tight jean uh, mullet like hair metal type thing, okay. but there is an argument, and I've been on you know Wik- Wikipedia looking for this, but some people think butt rock is like grunge and post grunge because they said oh it's all these guys who have grown their hair down to their butt so i think maybe butt rock is kind of all encompassing from like pantera to pearl jam to warrant to guns and roses you know any any like i think the concept is uh long hair sits in their room and riffs you know like real Like uh, real Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons, like but meets the guitar type vibe. <laughs> it's a great great definition. Um, what uh, when they were forcing you out of the house to um, follow your dad on house errands? What video games were they taking you away from? Oh, um, so I was a Nintendo sixty four kid. Um, so I was always playing Banjo Kazooie. Legend of Zelda, like Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And and then if I wasn't into like the fantasy, like full blown, you know, role playing, I was into like Tony Hawk or any sort of racing game. I loved like I loved Tony Hawk. And I also love this game called Aggressive Inline where you're basically Tony Hawk, but you're on blades. Yeah. But um, I fell in and love with those games. Following you around? Yeah. They, you, well, they were always getting in trouble. Like, you're, you know, the whole point is like you're a bad boy and you're. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I loved those games truly because of the soundtrack. Like I started LimeWire, Kazaa, uh, U-Torrent. I would go to there. I would go and download the songs I had heard. It's like, oh, I need to hear more Jimmy Eat World or more freaking Snoop Dogg or more whatever I heard on this video game. And yeah, so then the PlayStation came out and then I played a lot of Grand Theft Auto yeah, I'm not very, I'm not a great video game guy. I'm not like a great, uh, like all my roommates in college would do the, these kind of games, you know, like the, yeah, like running, running in the crew and everyone's latching up and we got to get our, our paladin in there and we got to get the boss and we got to, you know, yeah. that's not me. A lot of, uh, World of Warcraft or League a lot of, of Warcraft, a lot of, yeah, a lot of Diablo, a lot of all that sort of stuff that I don't understand. Sure, sure. What uh, what what made you want to go to school to write songs? Mm. Well, one of those Warcraft friends um, went to school for music business for me, and realized that I was not didn't have any plans to go to college, and so he was like, "Hey, you should do this." If because I was like 
playing open mics and stuff in Atlanta. He's like, well, if you're going to do that, like you might as well come here and do this like vague songwriter degree. So I researched it and didn't look like there's a lot of meat to it. And I was like, perfect. I (laughs) don't want to do anything. I hate school. I love socializing. I love going to class. I love hanging, love making friends. Was never great at turning stuff in. Not great at remembering assignments. Honestly, I forgot about this until this morning. So uh, I was like, wow, this worked out perfectly right yeah. in between the doctor appointments. And so glad I texted you. Yeah. Glad you texted me, but also <laughs> glad that you are a Google calendar person because mm-hmm. showed up in my Google calendar, ex- all the details I needed. And I was like, this is a pro because yeah. <laughs> I was like, that changed my life when I got on the Google calendar. Yeah. And that's in the past year. I'm 30 years old. It took me fucking forever to learn that I should have a Google calendar. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, am I allowed to cuss? Sorry, I just yeah, yeah, cuss all you okay. want. My uh, my wife, when we first started dating, I I got like really good at dating. That was what I did. The majority of my life was practice dating. Nice. And by the time I met my wife, I I had it down to such a science that I was like, actually, I'm just gonna share my Google Calendar with you, and you can put on times that we should spend together, and that way you know when I'm available, and you we can just. You can tell me if it's at your place, my place. You just put it on the calendar. I'll be there. Wow. <laughs> and did she like that? Oh, she was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> wow. And so then you get to see how much she bo- she books. Like, yeah. did she overbook? Oh, she was she underbooking a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's also so intimate that you would give uh, her all the details of I mean, all, if, it depends on how, how you know, sticky, icky your Google calendar is. But like, you're like, right. I'm working. I have this meeting. I have this appointment. I got this, this and this. Like, it's very handy to not have things to hide in the relationship because, you know, we can switch phones for hours of the day and it's not actually scary. Yeah. It's like she could just use my phone. and um, yeah. yeah. Isn't that a nice handy. thing? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that nice to like uh yeah. I think that's I think that's when you know that that's the person you should marry. When yeah. you're like, "Oh, I I don't feel like I have to lie to you about anything." Like, yeah. That's cool. Like <laughs> Yeah. Not even if, they, if you really are like a, you know, truly in in de- de- deception mode, but even just like, oh, "I don't I'm not even scared that you know that I have mm-hmm. a, you know, butt pimple appointment at 1 1 p.m. today or something." <laughs> Not the appointment I had, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they needed to puncture it before they got rid of it. Yeah, um, uh, it's the kind of video that gets sent to me on TikTok nearly a hundred percent of the time, and I can't, I can't take it. The pimple? Oh, it's too much. I yeah, but that's literally it knows my weakness and it it feeds it to me. Dang um, the algorithm! It's it's intense because um, you can't look away or it. I can't look away. I yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely obsessed. It's it's Damn. disgusting. Doctor, yeah. you are the 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 algorithm. You are the the base. Yeah. For Doctor Pimple Popper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. So you you go to school. You start writing songs. What's the process of like? Dang, I love meeting people. This is cool. To like, I don't really like how this is going. I think I'm gonna do it my own way. Wow, that's a great question. I never knew I still don't really know what I'm doing and I have if you ask my manager I have a hard time setting like big picture goals I recently just got into chess and I have such a hard time 
looking ahead three moves. Like I, I just get a, I get this mode. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna take that queen. That queen is just sitting there. I need to take that. <laughs> and so then I like try to take it, and then I forget. They're like, oh, their horse is right there. Like, crap! I just did a queen swap. Like this, this is so dumb. And mm. and that's kind of like how music has gone. Like, I knew I wanted to play music. I knew I love singing. I knew I love writing songs. I knew I like playing live. Like my favorite thing ever is playing live. And I've played in church for years and then I moved to college and I started playing in a college band and then started recording and, but everything at college was really procedural. It's kind of like everyone's like 20 years old and they're all learning. Well, this is, you have pro tools and it's 128 K and then you do this and every compression and it's got to be the, the mic has to be like right here and like everything's so procedural and not romantic. And, um, my whole, life i mean even leaving christianity like i still am a romantic i'm obsessed with feeling i'm still obsessed with like someone giving me their google calendar and saying hey just put yourself in it like i'm like oh oh my god i think i just got tired of uh how inept i felt being someone who i knew i knew like i knew i was talented i knew i had something to do something to say but i knew i didn't fit into the realm of like play it pretty, sing it pretty. And so I was like, well, I got to figure out a way to do that. And so I just started peeling kids out of the program that I would see them make something that was like kind of nasty or like something that was like weird. Uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, they would turn an assignment and I'd be like, that kid kind of seems kind of weird. Like they might want to be a friend of mine. They might want to hang out. And and then I would just bribe them. I'd like invite them over and sounds bad but i just like give them like booze or cigarettes or drugs i had and be like hey man like would you mind setting up the microphones and letting me be weird and and then you kind of because i don't really know how to work all the tools so and yeah i I got that's kind of how medium build started is i I did that with like two or three friends and i invite them over and be like don't think of it like class think of it like not class like think of it like us getting drunk and you record me doing whatever on the piano and that's how i got like the first i don't know eight or nine medium build songs that are they're not on spotify anymore but they they were they're all they all live on Bandcamp. the og the og catalog i think it all came out in 2015 i needed to know that i could make something that sucked and was nasty and fun and um felt like me it seems like one of your great strengths is like a ton of heart. It seems to be one of the one of the things that that comes through very clearly in the music and in talking to you for ten minutes. I feel like that's a giant strength to know how to do it the right way and then to choose to do it a different way. Yeah. Um, versus people not knowing anything and then just kind of like figuring out kind of what works. It like helps to have the standard and then to be able to reject the standard. Yeah. That that is like a much more knowledgeable way to say no to something. Um, well, I wish I had that knowledge that I, I like, it's not like I could execute a pop song right now, like by myself. I can't. And that was the thing is like, I didn't like feeling being in that space. Like it's mm. not like I'm a, a, a wonderkin that was so good at producing. It was like, <laughs> I'm going to reject all of my sensibilities. It's like, no, I, I literally couldn't make the f- system work for me. Like, Oh wow. And so I was like, I have to get someone to step into left field for my shit to even work. Like, mm. 
because I would, I did try, I did try a lot, a couple times. Like I recorded an EP with this guy who actually we've circled back into working together, but back in the day he was just so rigid. And I made this EP with him, and it was songs I loved, but they were we beat the shit out of them with making sure the kick was right and everything was right, and like there was no flavor. It was like boiled chicken is what it all came out as. And it all made sense. And the professors were like, good job. But like, it, I just hated it. And I was like, I'm not going to put this out. Like, I'd rather put out the demo we made drunk last week. And yeah, I think the my presence in my heart is the only thing that keeps me from falling into boiled chicken water. Is like, hey, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not... I'm not clean. You know, I'm it's messy. It's very messy to do this sort of like from the heart, from the gut like thing because it's like, oh, well, there's going to be bad vocal takes or there's going to be whatever. There's going to be uh messed up lyrics and there's going to be you know, c- collaborators that don't like that I didn't keep the part. Like I, a lot of times I'll make tracks with people and they'll people will send really nice parts and I'm like, "Hey, that's not it." Or it's kind of a hard thing to f- follow my gut. Mhm. Because it, it is this, what is that? Like, what is your gut, right? It's like, uh, or like, what, I don't know what Immanuel Kant would say. is like, what's the reason, right? It has to be reason, some logic to what you're doing. And like, it doesn't feel logical, the feeling in my stomach sometimes. And I think that frustrates some collaborators. And mm-hmm. I've gone through a lot of people, like trying to find that kind of like union that that Google Calendar person for me. <laughs> Have you learned to find any language to help to supplement your gut? Because there there's something about when you when you're in a relationship with someone and there's a ton of trust, and one of them makes a gut call, you just take the gut call. You don't need reasons because you trust the other person. But yeah. in some of these other ones where it's like you don't have that trust, and then you like can't articulate the reason why you're rejecting it. Like, have you, have you been able to, uh, find additional words for like, well, it doesn't do well with my gut. And now let me try to try to figure out why. (laughs) Um, that is uh, one, uh, that's some therapized human stuff right there is to scan, scan the internal and then like find the logic and find the words for it to explain. That's a, my therapist would be very proud of you, uh, phrasing (laughs) it like that. Um, no no the answer is fucking no i what it what i what i've gotten is i've gotten in into a lot of fights like with my friends that i make music with because i can't explain to them what i hate about the kick drum tone that they sound that they found and i've gotten into like me and my my friend literally i mean it's like some of our friendships i think our friendship has literally taken like a 25 percent cut because of my inability to be like him be like this is it it's done i was like that's not it and he's like (laughs) what's the problem i was like things are too loud things are too quiet and then he's like well why don't you just mix it you know and then it's like cool okay like I'm, it's, it's not personal for me. It, I don't see the, the song that I hate and see the producer th- or the mixer and say, oh, obviously that guy is garbage because he made this and this is garbage. It's like, no, we all try. We all, we're all painting. I call it painting, right? Like, come over, let's paint. Let's get high, let's cook, whatever. Well, you know, 
like have some coffee and eat an edible and just make some things, see what happens. Like it doesn't have to be uh, great, but it also is not keeper. You know, usually it's not like, and I, I, that's the thing I've learned for the past 10 years is I used to think every idea I had was jelly bean magic, just like full send, like, oh my God, we just made it. Let's put it out. And now I'm finally learning that like, it doesn't have to feel, it can just be fun. We can cook, you can walk away. But no, I have have a really hard time. Music language is so bogus. My first producer guy I was telling you about, who uh, he's actually come back around and he, uh, he wrote, uh, he co-wrote and produced a rabbit and uh, Corolla and another man. He was a jazz person. He went to jazz college, jazz mm-hmm. musician. And so he had all this like jazz language in the studio. Like, yeah. oh, like got to get in the shed, bro. Like got to hit. Who, we need some hip cats to come lay down some hot grooves, bro. <laughs> like, oh, why don't you just slam the pads down on those on the one over there, my brother? You know, and you're like, slam the pads on the one? What? That's not a word. It's like, oh, he means like play a whole note on the piano yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, it's like, <laughs> okay cool i can do that only thing i've learned how to do is is get better at saying no i think that's i've gotten better at saying no and i've gotten better at at not worshiping my first draft that's smart i also i had a really bad experience with um a drummer one time who did a very similar thing where he told me like no that's th- th- he, he like told me his credentials prior to turning it in which was like I did the drums for this Justin Bieber song and I know that this is the answer. And I like heard it and I was like, I'm sorry, it's not the answer. And he was like, fine, then we're done. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. That'll, that's a, that's a dynamic that I should be very aware of. It's like, are you in, are you in LA? Uh, close. I'm, I'll okay. be there in February. Okay. Where's home now? Santa Barbara. Our normal. Oh, Santa Barbara. We love Santa Barbara. Oh, you do? Wow. Yeah. We got I got a friend there. Uh and I've stayed there a couple nights and giant giant raccoons. Uh, biggest raccoons I'd ever seen in Santa Barbara. I don't yeah. know if they're everywhere, but a lot of uh were you in Isla Vista or Santa Barbara? Mm, I I don't know. Maybe I was in Isla Vista. I think I was in Santa Santa Barbara, but probably it was probably it was up in the woods. So okay. maybe it was Isla Vista. Gotcha. Yeah, there's a lot of uh trash animals because there's a lot of uh trash. Human trash. So. Yeah. Yeah. Bad, uh, bad, bad system. I mean, we only have so much time, so I'm just going through the, the, the hits of everything that interests me. Sure. Um, quitting drinking in 2018 as a choice from moving from like doing like big bar gigs with the band to like wanting to like buckle down and do it a different way. What was, uh, inciting incident? What was that choice? How did it affect you? So, I mean, a good 10 years of drinking, you know, like that, that really gives you a kind of a, a feeling in your gut. Like, man, I've had a lot of bad times doing this thing. And I've had a lot of like sloppy times. Like, I think that was the thing that really started to hit was I went on my first real big tour in 2017. I was out for almost a month and I was just like kind of drunk the whole time but i never felt like i got too drunk i was just like constantly drinking because that's what every night is i'm working but i'm at someone's friday like every night i would play house concert bar roof whatever didn't matter someone there's like oh my god bro we're so glad to have you you got to try this craft beer here and you got to do this Mm -hmm. and 
and so I got really sick after that tour and I felt awful and um and then you know discrepancies in like my money my relationship with partners my relationship with music like it would all fluctuate based on how much I was drinking or like or I would sometimes romanticize drinking like oh my gosh sometimes like I would come home and after work and I would sit here and drink like three Negronis and make a song and it was a hit so I'm like well I gotta do that again and um it's all bogus man I mean and the shows yeah I mean drunk people suck and and this is someone who I I do drink again I I took two years off and I've reintroduced alcohol um it's still like I can't really figure out the perfect ratio but I know alcohol is not going to fix anything I know alcohol is not going to make me happier but sometimes sometimes yeah <laughs> like it adds joy yeah um but it also is a it's a it's a trade so like one of the last nights I actually drank in 2017 I think I we were playing this huge crowd and in Anchorage it was like 400 people and I like I drank like a bottle of water and like spit it all over the front row or something. <laughs> and my guitar player was like, bro, do not do that. And I was like, this is what we do. This is rock. Like, he's like, no, this is not that. And I was like, oh, okay. I need to check myself. And um, Wh- when was that? Was that in COVID? No, no, no. That okay. was, uh, <laughs> that was uh, December, 2017. So that okay. was right before I quit. Um, changing myself changed the things around me, changed our fans when we started playing like all ages shows with no booze and then it was like oh well all these old head anchorage people that only like to come to shows because there's beer stopped coming and i was like hell yeah let's ditch every person that's too cool to not drink and i still feel like that i mean like if you have to like like i mean if you have to get drunk to come to the show yeah fuck off like there's, I mean, dude, there's so many, I mean, I, I get it. I get that some people have anxiety, uh, and in different manifests in different ways, but like check yourself. Right. It's like, that was me. Like, and I still have to look like last night, I just got home from tour. So I've, Grace and I have been kind of leaning into it and drinking wine and hanging and just bullshitting and sitting with the dogs. And last night I was like, okay, I'm not drinking. I went to the gym. It's like, I'm not drinking tonight. And then it was like 10 PM and I was like, I have the urge to eat everything in the fridge mm-hmm. or get as stoned as humanly possible. So I get it. I get that urge to like do something. You want to do something. You don't want to feel where you are. And I'm trying to be more present. I'm trying to feel where I am and uh, less alcohol helps that. Weed, weed's fine. I, I use it. I kind of subsidize that feeling. Uh, I don't like smoking weed. So I use a lot of, I eat a lot of edibles and drink a lot of, uh, there's this high tea we have up here. Nice. I don't know what kind of edibles you guys have, but it's great. I just take like a tiny little sip of it. Keeps me on the mellow and, uh, you know. Keeps me slamming those pads on the one. Yeah, dude. Hitting the <laughs> hitting the, the skins, cat, bro. And give me back my soul. You uh, talk about uh, there's like a little reference to your relationship with uh, psychedelics and spirituality i'd love to hear if there is any crossover or any particular experience that um is is that something that you habitually do do you find those two going hand in hand 
Um, yeah, that's a that's fun. That's a good question, Connor. I like I like your style. Um, my dogs are so hungry for attention. Hi, hi, buddy. So growing up as a Christian kid, there was like really Christian Christianity is like a, is almost too big of a blanket. Like my parents were, you know, nineteen nineties. Hey, hey, we love you. Go, go off, go off, go, 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 lay down. God, that's brisket. She loves attention. Lay down, lay down. I love you. I love you, girl. She wants to sit up on on my lap. Um, growing up in like my parents were like nineties evangelical, like hands raised, like you know, like party church, like like rock church. We had guitars and drums and lights, and my mom was on fire for Jesus. That was like our whole thing. It was like yeah, we're the live out loud. Like I'm, I, I was trying to convert kids on the playground, like. And not yeah. even on like some like winning souls. It was like I was like, "Hey, do you know about hell? Like, you don't want to go there, bro. Like, you really want to go to heaven." <laughs> it's the opposite of this playground, right? Right, now. exactly. <laughs> and my whole formative years were like being loud for Christ and being out loud and chasing that feeling that I had. Eventually, like in the mid two thousands, like it became really cool to like be really emotional right it's like the there's i don't know if you grew up in in the that yep. world but like the the bethel yeah, yeah um yeah. the 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 kim walker voice the like right. just like we talk like this when we talk yeah. to god we it's like only can yearn like there's no yeah. other emotion like you can't talk to god like this yeah. <laughs> you can't be curious you can't say hey what's up god no you gotta, yeah. you gotta, be, like, gotta be like god like dad we're here daddy god abba father lord like we like are just so you know it's like and it was like man it was so hyper emotional and i loved it i was like i could snort that every morning i was like give me that i want that and so i was informed by that 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 was uh hand in hand with my you know emotion and spiritual were the same to me and so it informed what i started writing um, and when I started playing my own songs, like they were often slow and emotional, mm. which was always the most banger worship tunes were like, right. the like, like, you know, just the, oh, like, you know, they yeah. start playing it and you're like, oh, 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 oh no, I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry or I'm gonna start praying over somebody. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to, it's going. And, um, and so that was kind of my whole shtick was like two chord you know, four, five, four, five, FG, FG, like just emotional as hell. And, um, four, five, four, five builds <laughs> forever. It's this thing where it's like, you want to be endlessly teased. Just go <laughs> F G F G. And you're like, yes. resolve, resolve. Yeah. Never, <laughs> never give him that C. Never the one. Yeah. That's exactly dude. Or, or the four, five, six, five, four. That's yeah, the big, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Like, like, will he ever get off that cross? Not until we play the C chord. It's like, that's all the Good Friday songs. They're all the mournful six, four, five, six, four, five, six, five, six, five, four, five. And then Sunday morning, one, four, one, four, baby. We saving souls with this chord progression. Um, so, yeah, I came out of that world where i wanted that hyper emotional and it was at the same time like what was i listening to like death cab and radiohead and like that's emotional fleet foxes bon Iver, like it's so it's like it's all it was the trend of the time was to be sparse and emotional 
and kind of like aloof and um and so then when I like got to college and I started looking around I was like man like I want to make music that is this but I also want to make music that's like present I wanted I wanted to take the things that I liked about sort of the sloppiness of like the the like the sort of revival church that I had been a part of and like take sort of that like that improv bit and um all this is working to the first time I did drugs I was like holy shit like I was like these are amazing these are like the these are like the fast pass to godliness like eat you know a bag of mushrooms and all of a sudden you're like you're in the astral planes you you know eat some molly and music feels better than it's ever felt like yeah I remember the first time I did uh cocaine I was like I was I I think I wanted to convert this person. I was I was like still I was like 18. I was still in my like crossing out, but I, I'm pretty sure I like asked this woman's whole story and was like I was on my way to like, you know, being like, "Well, this is what I believe and, you know, you don't have to yeah. believe it, but this is where I am." You know, that's the it, it made me feel these sort of ways and um but that song you're talking about in particular, "Give Me Back My Soul," was about um right right when everything got canceled. So it was like March 2020. My tour got canceled. I had recently gone through a nasty breakup and I was starting to feel really distant from like my core friend group. And my brother was like, he could see that I wasn't right. And so he literally just handed me this bag of mushrooms. And he was like, give, give me my brother back. Oh. He's like, he's like, bring, bring him back. I don't know what the fuck's going on here, but like, I'd like to see him again. Oh my God. And I was just like, okay. And uh, so we were moving. It's an awful time to move. COVID, like it was impossible to rent a truck. It was uh, anyway. We it was we were moving that last week of March into the first week of April, 2020. This was when everyone was in like full panic. Like, right. do we need to wear hazmat suits when we do everything? Like, how close? You know, you don't even look at each other on the sidewalk. You like, you like this right. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother had moved all of his stuff, and I hadn't moved all my stuff. I had my bed, but the, the entire apartment was empty. And so I was like, hell, I'll just blast in. And I, I had never, I had had mushrooms before. I didn't, I don't think I had really fully ever known how much to take or whatever, but I know I hated the taste, but I liked the feeling. So I put them in, I took the whole bag and I put it in like a smoothie and I just put like yogurt and fruit and peanut butter and milk and all this stuff, you know, made this really delicious smoothie and it masked the taste and I drank it all. I kind of just sat there and I like put on like a meditation. I just laid down in bed and I was like listening to Sam Harris, who's like my podcast guru. And Mm -hmm. 30 minutes later, like I, it was like Tron legacy, you know, like I just started seeing everything seemed to be on the grid and I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like, Oh, this is a little, little scary. And then all of a sudden I started feeling really warm and all of a sudden it was like, was not just Tron. It was like my bike was sitting in the corner of my room and it looked like, it was going to come alive and like everything was just like, and I was like, Whoa, this might be the most I've ever felt on these. And then it was like not prepared for an hour later in the fetal position, crying, weeping, literally like more, those things I was in the song. Like I was processing my breakup. I was processing this relationship with my bandmate that was ending James process. James. Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah. I mean, it when when you say Jesus and James together, they work as a religious thing on their own. Yeah. So the idea that it is like the James 
from the beginning, um, <laughs> yeah. that is way more powerful. My gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The James. I mean, the, I mean, the James I, I uh, did the first, well, the, if you don't count the original OG stuff I made in Tennessee, but since I moved to Alaska, the three first three albums we made or four shit. Um, yeah. So it was just like, I cried and cried and I had all this tension built up and I was avoiding it with like alcohol. You know, I had to process the end of the world. Like I really thought like, it's like, man, I'm never going to tour again. Like this shit, it's over. Like we're, people are going to, you know, a million people are going to die tomorrow. And, and that was just a full panic, but it was like, it was everything. And I think mushrooms are my favorite because of that, because they, they call to, within like they unlock a, a, a really intimate internal piece of me that I don't feel like I always honor. Like I feel like that I have that antenna up, but I like, I kind of try to harsh that frequency so that I don't weird people out Yeah, because coming out of the spiritual, hyper spiritual, hyper emotional church, like I'm always down to get deep. I'm always ready to get, I mean, we're here, right? It's like, right. it didn't take long. Like, <laughs> I, I'll be at the bar and someone's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, do you believe that you have free will? You know, right. it's yeah. like I'm I'm I am constantly wondering what my existence is and who I am and how I'm perceived and who I should be and how to be better to my partner and my dogs and my friends. And like so those drugs for me help. Help me be there. And it's like often better alone uh, where I can do some processing and some journaling and some music playing and some dance around your room naked and you know, yeah. all the things you want to do when you're high on drugs. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that gave me some feelings. That's got, that's got heavy feelings in it, man. Yeah. That song is, yeah. And that song we did really well on tour. I played, I kind of opened with it every night and, uh, people liked it and some people even knew it like just based off that video. So yeah. I think that's going to be maybe the next single. Um, Would you be willing to play it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Guys, now they're they're fighting over who can be on camera. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to crank this up a little bit and then just kind of like cool. roll back a little. When I left you, got a tattoo, dyed my hair, lost my mind. My big brother gave me some mushrooms, ate the whole bag, baby, and I cried, 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 cried about Jesus, cried about James. Cried about Nashville and all of the people I can't change. Cause baby, when it comes down to it, all I really wanted was control. Now that we're done, I'm moving. Give me back my soul. Give me back my soul. Give me back my soul, give me back my soul, let go. 
When I met you at the tap room, I was young with big brown eyes. Got your number for the summer. I was drunk and you were nice, nice, nice. I told you about Jesus. I told you about James. Told you about all the pieces of me that I can't change. Cause baby, when it comes down to it, all I really wanted was control. But now that we're done and I'm moving, give me back my soul, give me back my soul, give me back my soul. Give me back my soul, let go Let go Cause baby when it comes down to it All I really wanted was control Now that we're done I'm moving Give me back my soul, give me back my soul Give me back my soul, 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 give me back, give me back, give me back my soul, give me back, give me back, give me back my soul, let go, let go. Oh my. What a tune. What a tune. Thanks, man. <laughs> hot tune. What a hot, hot tune. Yeah, let me see the chart on that one, bro. Oh, one, four, one, four, huh? Easy stuff here. I make jokes like this guy. You ever watch Twin Peaks? Uh, no, I still oh. need to. It's it, it's a long it's a big investment, but the the creator of Twin Peaks is this guy named David Lynch, and he wrote himself a tiny role into mm-hmm. the, the the TV show, and his role is that of a an FBI agent who's hard of hearing, and <laughs> from and he's from like Idaho or whatever, and so every line he says like this, <laughs> Coop, I'm coming in from Bend, Oregon, Coop. Anyway, that's that's how Paul sounded in the studio uh, to me as as a kid. Oh like, yeah, uh, bro. <laughs> sounds like how John Mulaney does uh, <laughs> deputy uh, the the deputy like safety guy. We got a we got a few last minutes. So I got a few last questions for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, either best advice you've gotten about your career or the worst advice you've gotten about your career. <laughs> Uh, the worst advice I've gotten about my career is it's not like it's not like one person said it. It's just everyone who also does music believes in that sort of like hustle culture, share more, post more, get your friends to share, pre-save. Like that's the worst advice I've I've, I've I constantly am in receiving is the the social norm that we all put on ourselves of like. 
it's not just music. It's also a marketing hustle and it's emailing playlists and like, that's the shit that keeps me up at night. Like I'll write a great song and I'll be like, that's a great song. Like, good job, Nick. And then I'll be in bed. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't market today. I didn't do any, I didn't, oh boy, I I should have liked and commented on more people's posts today. Have my name out there like, oh shit, you know? And it completely steals the joy. It the the whoever I mean I guess it, I don't know Jesus or uh, the Rockefellers or whoever whoever paired music and commerce together and, and made and then now we all are these little businesses. Yeah, I'm supposed to go around as a small business. People invite me to do small business things. I'm like I'm not a small business. I write songs. I'm like, well, that's your small business. And I was like, damn, I I. I never wanted to look at it like that, but it's, it is real and it, it is a commerce and it is like, it's a ha- it's part, it's a part-time job for me, but enjoy the fucking music and quit posting so goddamn much. Not to you, to, just to anyone. I, I don't know. You know, it's like it, to myself, you know, I, I, I do it too, but fuck that. Yeah. How, how does that speech go with your manager? Oh man. Uh, yeah, we, we, we have a really they good relationship. It. Yeah. Yeah. My manager is just a lovely, lovely human, and she reminds me constantly to post. You know, she talks to me a lot about consistency and work ethic. And and I, and I say them, I don't mean to have so much mustard on that, but I, I I do respect those things, and I and I and I want to get better. It's the kind of same thing with like my own self. It's like, oh, I should be drinking less and working out more, and I should be. Um, spending more time outside with my dogs and less time inside like playing chess or, you know, like staring at my screen. And so she has really practical advice, but she's not like, she never pressures me to like, she's never been like, Hey, I think you need to post a TikTok right now. Like she's, you know, she's just like, Hey, like we haven't heard from you post something, you know, let people know what you're up. And she always lets me like, lets me, like she encourages me to be me on the apps and stuff. And so um, I respect that. And there's a lot of stuff I don't know about the music industry. A lot of stuff I don't want to know. And that's why I love my manager. <laughs> um, how how did you find this person? What's uh, What else does this person do with you? Um, so I will... I met her. She was a, She's in booking. And I'll, I'll leave her name out of this because yeah. uh, she actually manages me kind of on the low. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's a booking agent by day. And I met her... When Quinn and I, when Quinn won the Tiny Desk yeah. contest in 2019, we were on the road for like three months and I met her through that. And so, yeah, she's in LA. She works for a cool agency. Um, she manages a couple artists on the side. And I think managing is something she's really passionate about. Booking is something she's really great at. And uh, she's a juggernaut. I mean, she's going to run something really badass in the next 10 or 20 years. And, um, I'm lucky. A lot of people are like, yo, how did you, how'd you find your manager? It's like fucking luck, yeah. like luck. And she fell in love with one of my songs and that was it. You know, it's like, it's one song of mine that she was absolutely obsessed with. And that was enough for her to be like, I'll help this kid. Yeah. Which one? Movie stars. Okay. It's on rough boy, but it's actually an old one. I wrote and recorded several times in college trying to get it right and never did. But yeah, just an old classic despair, feeling like a sack of shit, drinking too much, wanting to die type song. Yeah, you you mentioned that uh, music is a form of accountability for you. Uh, saying saying the bad thing out loud 
and then other people being being down for it uh, or agreeing with it without necessarily doing the bad thing. Is that still in play? Totally. Yeah. I have to constantly, I think I have to remind myself now a days to put the risky lyric in. Sometimes I'll just write something that's kind of fluffy or it's too vague and I want to remember to put the risky lyric in. But also I want to remember that I, I learned this, I just got off of like, what, three weeks of tour and I'm learning kind of, I don't really want to always sing some of those really dark fucked up songs. Yeah. But it is cool because I'm not, I'm not there. I don't have to be there to go there. Right. Yeah. Like when I wrote Fat Broke Loser or Movie Stars or, you know, any of these sort of like despair type joints, like I was sad and I was drinking myself, you know, to sleep every night. And sometimes when people will ask for those songs, I'm like, oh man, do I want to go there tonight? Like, do I want to take the crowd there? Like, but yeah. I, I see it as a, as a, a net positive if I can be there and and invite people into that space it's it's really similar to the church thing like back in the day when i led worship it was like well how do i get people to you know it was always the goal was to get people into the throne room into the spirit of god right invite the spirit in like and i want that just without all the heavy dogma stuff like i want people to feel safe like i want people to forget their day when i start singing i want people to like my, that was something my dad told me when I was 18. He gave me really good advice. He was like, speaking of best advice, uh, he was like, yo, none of these people have any care who you are. You know, I was just playing open mics and playing coffee shops and bars and stuff. He's yeah. like, help them forget that, that, that they have a bill to pay, that they have a, you know, a, a sick child, that they have, you know, marital strife. Like, he's like, you are the escape. Yeah. And then I, I realized that like that was hand in hand, like kind of what the church thing was for me was this like beautiful escape. Like my home life was really boring and my parents were always stressed about money. And so going to church was like amazing because all we had to do was just be emotional and be present. It's like, yeah. I got that shit fucking down. I don't have to turn in any assignments. I was so good at church. Like I'd show up, unfold chairs, help paint, help feed people, help bring food, help do anything. I'd lead worship for, you know, fifth grade to see to the big church to the, the adults like whatever i didn't have to write anything <laughs> didn't have to right. have any documents just had to be present and i'm good at that right and so my dad was like yo just be yourself seeing your your heart out and let people feel that and so that's kind of always the goal right it's just be present be myself i think people will come around it's uh it's interesting how I mean, just performing in front of groups, but specifically within the Christian context, it's emotional, like group emotional reading is what it is. It teaches people. You get very fluent in understanding what is the feeling of the group and is that where I would like it to be at this moment? Um, yeah. Or And how can the music move it to a different place or continue what we have going? Yeah. It's a very interesting skill to transfer into the indie music space because you have like bands like matt corby who has that very like churchy like organ in the back like big jungle drums like like long notes that are like designed to like kind of help with hyperventilation a little bit which gets you loopy and um it's a it's fascinating uh to me i enjoy talking to you that's uh just a side note um (laughs) 
uh, last I, question. Hold on, hold on. Just, I mean, I know we got. I mean, I'm in no hurry, but I know you have stuff to do. But I, that is one of the best ways that I've heard someone. And I try to talk about that, but like, yeah, it is reading groups, mm-hmm. and it's a it, not only it's their emotional temperature, and I think that is that's what makes a great worship leader or did when I was in that world. I don't know what a good worship leader is anymore, but, and I think it's what makes a good, a great, anybody, it makes a great restaurant manager. It makes a great fucking workout class leader. It makes a great anything. Um, but I love that. Cause you do like, and that was one of the hardest things on tour was I, I was solo for two weeks and then I flew the, the band down from Anchorage and we played a couple of full band gigs. And I noticed that when the full band came, I lost that like power like a little bit because yeah. of the solo show i can just be like you know what i'm not gonna put the drum machine on this one we're just gonna go all natural and then all of a sudden now everyone's quiet and they're listening you know and then you yeah. can put the drum machine back on and be like all right now we're dancing like yeah but with the full band everyone's like oh we're at a concert like cool we're at a band like it's a right. lo- loud band we can talk and kind of do this thing and i was like oh i want i want that power again i want that like and maybe that's the i don't know maybe that's the the giveaway lyric of give you back my soul is all I wanted was control, right? It's like, I crave that control. I crave that yeah. and read the room and help, help shape it. Yeah. Maybe that's one of the only things I do know what I want, right? I can't play chess or I can't plan my career, but I do know I want people to feel good and I know I want them to feel what I'm feeling. So that's the, I guess the goal is let people know what I'm feeling and hope that they feel it too. Yeah. Yeah. I love this uh, recurring theme that you're, try but are not that great at chess oh my god <laughs> so bad i also uh in uh in 2016 was told that i lack foresight so i took up chess to to practice foresight uh, <laughs> oh. and then got so tired of losing games that i was like all right cool i'm all done dang yeah i think i've won two out of like 50 games that i i've been into it for like a month so I'll like go to the bathroom and come back defeated and Grace is like what's wrong and I was like I just played like a speed match I I lost (laughs) she's like get that out of your fucking hands (laughs) last question for you is any good books um any anything Mm. that you've uh read that has um helped you affected you moved you in the last couple years uh yeah this is a, a great question too I have been really into uh, John Steinbeck um, lately, which, if you don't know, he's a a classic American novelist, born in 1900, died in like 64 or something. Um, It's so funny that you continue, you gave the backstory for John Steinbeck, but you just said Quinn's first name when one is like a famous author. (laughs) You're like, you know, Quinn... Anyway, John Steinbeck, <laughs> I'll tell you who John Steinbeck is. <laughs> That's true. Quinn Christofferson is the 2019 Tiny Desk winner. He's also my friend. He's an Alaskan native. He lives here. We are pals. We make music together. Nice. He has a beautiful career ahead of him. I just assume that everyone who's aware of me is aware of Quinn because of our entanglement. Sure, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. Quinn Christofferson, <laughs> if you haven't heard him, friends... Uh, slap that Google up and uh, get to town. Um, but no, John Steinbeck, underrated. I think mainly people just, it's like become like a literary assignment for to read right. Grapes of Wrath or something. But um, I haven't even read Grapes of Wrath yet. I just uh, read, the past two I read um, were 
Tortilla Flat, and before that it was uh, Cannery Row, and those okay. both take place in Monterey, California, which is mm-hmm. I guess north of the Bay. Is that e- apparently everything he writes? I uh, he's east of Eden. That's him, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Salinas County. Yeah. So that's uh, that's is that north of uh, SF or is uh, that south? South. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So he's he's obsessed. I mean, I guess he grew up there. Or he grew up not far from there, and. He's obsessed with like middle America, working class, um, and he's a, he just has such this beautiful way of talking about characters. He'll introduce a character, like he'll show a character walking down the street. Like you, you're obsessed with this, you, you know, right now the focus is on this like character one and character two will walk down the street and they'll say hello. And then three chapters later, character two is in the plot of some, you know, he's in the thick of some nasty stuff and you're like, oh, like that's why that guy walked by earlier so that we wouldn't be confused when he came up. And I'm always taking notes and I just love how he talks about it. It makes me want to go to Monterey real bad. It's cute. You can see otters hold hands. Um, They just just float on their backs together next to the seaweed and hold hands. We love that. We have a couple places like that in the summertime. Um, Yeah. yeah. Read, read, uh, Read Cannery Row. If anybody wants to a little study of America in the forties, I guess. Well, great. I uh, I just started. Um, the last person I talked to recommended "Slouching Toward Bethlehem" by Joan Didion, which my wife is incidentally reading at the same time. So wow. uh, I was like, "All right, cool. I guess it's my time to start that." But um, Canary Row seems like I did East of Eden, and it was bleak. Oh yeah, a bleak tale. Um, yeah. No, you Cannery know, I, Row is, I is all fluff. Yeah, it's all it's about these like squad of like vaguely homeless guys who just take jobs and grift and kind of just survive. It's a real it's a real uh, camaraderie sort of joint. Same with Tortilla Flat, same vibe. Nice. Very light. I mean, it's bleak in the way that nobody ever wins, but they always get drunk at the end of the day. I think that's kind of the first thing I Steinbeck's I read was the travels of uh in search of america travels with charlie he drove around the country in 1960 with his dog in the back and like in a truck and just slept in the back of his truck it was amazing he yeah i i can't talk about him enough but he just has a way of humanizing people and i think deeply the guy just likes eating a good breakfast and getting drunk and like <laughs> those are two things i love too like <laughs> <laughs> it's hard hard not to love you know a good uh uh, you know, egg and English muffin and a couple pints of beer. <laughs> the, the proportions there are great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Nick, pleasure, absolute pleasure, um, meeting you. I will, um, I will clap us out and then, um, say more compliments to you. Sweet. Thank you, Connor. <laughs> mm-hmm.